0: All right, let's go to the, we've already read in John, haven't we? Let's go to the book of Ephesians. We only got through the fifth verse, I think, last time. I'm going to read for according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And I could read that over and over and over again and if there were some Armenians around I would read it over and over and over again. Because I want to know what in the world they think they're going to do with that. Let them handle it. You know how I've heard them handle it? Oh, it just applies to the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Who's Paul writing to? Amen. Right. The, the Gentile Ephesian church. And he includes himself with them. We, anyway, having predestinated us into the adoption of children. Not only has he for loved us he chose us and he has predestinated the steps that we'd take to get to where he wanted us it's all of him all of God and this is all to the good pleasure according to the good pleasure of his will is there what kind of an ogre is that doing all this doing That's not an ogre. That's a sovereign God. A God of grace. And it's all to the good pleasure of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. And you know what Armenians are? They think that they that they've got a great big hand in their salvation. According to them, when when they get to heaven, they'll say, Thank you, Lord. And me for saving me. I had a great part in it, Lord. You didn't do it all. That's how they act. But we say the Lord did it all. Where are you? Now, He hath made us accepted in the beloved. He didn't make us acceptable in the beloved. Big difference. I'm still not acceptable to God. But I am accepted in Christ. So, would they accept Jesus. Well, actually, I don't know where they get all that stuff. But they don't get that from the Bible he hath made us past completed action accepted in the beloved in Christ. The beloved is in whom we have that was Paul and all those he's writing to. We have redemption through his blood. Now the hard shells take that and, and go right by all of the means. But the means are as much a part of it as the end is. And so, we have redemption, forgiveness through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Our redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's all according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He has abounded, shown himself to be more than sufficient for everything that we need in all wisdom and prudence. Well, prudence... Is a just a, a click or two away from wisdom. They're not exactly the same thing, but close. Wisdom and prudence. Wisdom is having that knowledge, and prudence is exercising that. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Now, this is not talking about his will and everything. It's talking about his will in our. Individual salvation. He has made known unto us the mystery of his will. What is that mystery of his will? Well, he has made it known to us through our salvation. And that's according to his good pleasure. Now, it must be something to that because Paul has said it twice in three verses. Uh, Verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, and uh, verse 9, well, it's four verses, according to his good pleasure. Well, I'm thankful that God has good pleasure in the salvation of his elect. Now, you see, Muslims, they can't talk about such a thing. Their God doesn't have any pleasure in their salvation. Their God is not a God, but the one they believe is a God. And the same thing with Buddha and Hindu and and all the rest of them. Only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has good pleasure in the elect of his people, in, in the salvation of his elect. To his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Now, I don't know how you can get away from this. That this whole kit and caboodle of eternal election, predestination, redemption, effectual call, sealing, eternal security, glorification, every bit of that. God hath purposed it in Himself. Not in somebody, but in Himself. That's all in the purpose for us. Who can be against us? That in the dispensation, that'd be the ministering, the carrying out of the fullness of times. Well, what would be the fullness of times? That would be the purpose of God being carried out. The dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven. And which are on earth, even in him. You take some more. Of these. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And that's in whom, verse eleven. In Him, in whom? Him, in whom? Christ, in whom? Also, we have obtained an inheritance. It just keeps on going, multiplying, being predestinated, predetermined according to the purpose of Him. Him is the one who according to his good pleasure he hath purposed in himself that same one, him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's been well identified here, He is the one. He's purposed all of this. Before the foundation of the world, he elected or chose his people out of the mass of humanity. I think uh, H. Strong's uh, definition of, of election, that eternal purpose of God by which Out of the whole mass of humanity, he has chosen some to be the recipients of his special grace and his salvation. Words to that effect. So this whole thing, from the beginning in eternity, God foreknew his elect. He foreloved them. And then he chose them. He elected them. Then he predestinated their steps that they would travel in getting to him. Then he chose the son to go and redeem them by his blood on the cross of Calvary. Through the death, burial and resurrection, the gospel of our salvation. And then he resurrected him and gave us an inheritance with him. And that's all of God. Completely of God. It had nothing to do with us in response or anything else. God purposed it all. And He has to have done it and continue to do it, work all things. After the counsel of his own will. Now, in order to do that, he's got to have the power to do that. He's got to have the omniscience, the wisdom to do that. And he has the omnipresence to ensure that his was carried out according to his own purpose, which in Christ before the began. You realize how how much is there. And yet, they want to deny it. These these people—they uh, deny everything of God. They they start off; they deny His creation. <laughs> so, oh no, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean what it says. They deny His miracles. They deny His prophecy. They deny His Son. They deny everything. Uh, then they deny His salvation—that He didn't do it; we did it. The elder ward said they ought to sing. Jesus, did, he, he paid some of it. <laughs> we say he paid it all. They say he paid some of it. But he, he either paid it all or he paid none. Anyway, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, you say, well, what about eternal security of the believer? There well, it is. And this is why I wonder, I've noticed debates. You don't much see them anymore, but I've seen a lot of debates or read about them. And it seems like most of the time the, the debater is debate, is an Armenian debating a Camelilyte on salvation. But an Armenian can't debate uh, uh, salvation. He can't debate eternal security. How can an, an Armenian debate eternal security? How can an Armenian believe and is it once saved always saved? Salvation depends on you, not God. That's according to them. Somebody, one of the black brothers said, "If you can get it and lose, let's see how does it. If you can get it and not know it, you can lose it and uh, have it and not and lose it, or something like that." Anyway, that's salvation. That they're talking about. Well you got to do this. And you got to do that. No salvation is all of God. He's he's done it all. Doesn't mean. We can go do whatever we feel like doing. Our hearts will lead us wrong. We must follow the word of God. But if you are a saved person. You will. to To a degree you will follow the Lord. Anyway. So. All of this. Is in order that. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. See, He does not bypass the means. You're not saved apart from trusting in Christ. If you trust in Christ, it's because God has chosen you from the beginning and he has granted to you repentance and faith. It's a gift of God, but you still exercise it. One of the hard shells tried to get on me one time for singing that song, The Haven of Rest. I said, maybe you forgot what it's like to come to Christ. Christ. Because when I came to Christ, I wasn't singing. I was elect from the foundation of the world. I didn't know know about that. When I came to Christ, I came to Christ. Spiritually, but I came to Christ through the word. I first trusted in Christ. I didn't know what was all behind that. And probably you didn't either. And that's not a requirement. But he says, to to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. So there you've got some of the means there. In whom, of course, Christ is the antecedent there. In whom ye also trusted. Well, that word trust is in italics, but it certainly deserves a place there. Because who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after see it's understood there also, after that ye heard the word of truth, how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach if he had been sent? After you heard after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise so even though that's again the Lord's work being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise it doesn't take away from the fact that you heard the word the Lord used it and he worked the work of grace in you and you Trusted the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel of your salvation. How he died for your sins according to Scripture, was buried and rose again the third day, all according to the Scripture. There's a the gospel of your salvation. It's the only gospel there is. There's not another gospel. So, and all of that with the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance. We have an inheritance. In Christ, we have an inheritance. It's more than a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. Jesus said, I'll go and prepare. There are many mansions in my Father's house. I'll go and prepare a place for you. So it's not a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. It's a mansion. And we know what a mansion is, You can but... We don't know what those mansions are because it hadn't been revealed yet. But I have not seen, neither see or heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God's prepared for them that love him. So the earnest of our inheritance, that's not a down payment. That's an assurance. You give an earnest in a real estate deal. That, that is to guarantee you intend to buy the place. An earnest is a guarantee that there's an inheritance coming, not a down payment. Until, that's, that is, until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, redemption is accomplished and applied on the cross of Calvary. The price was paid by Jesus Christ. And it's paid. That's over with. But what is the redemption of the purchased possession? Both body, soul, and spirit you. That's the purchased possession. And you see, our salvation won't be complete until then. We are body, soul, and spirit. It's called we are tripartite. And I firmly believe. When the Bible says we're made in the image of God, never one of us are, we're made in the image of God, I think that's where it is. God is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one God. We are body, soul, and spirit. We're tripartite. And I believe that's where we're made in the image of God. Now, I know probably a lot of people don't believe that. They think it's your thumbs and your toes. But I don't believe God's got thumbs and toes. The only thing I've got that I know that God is like God is I have body, soul, and spirit. And he's, he's tri-unity. So I believe that's, I believe that's where it is. I don't know that I'll ever hear enough to change my mind on that. Does that sound reasonable to everybody? All right. Now, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, our salvation is complete. But it all hasn't been realized. My my body and my soul are doomed to go back to the grave. My spirit is already renewed within me. and that's where the Holy Spirit lives. When, that, when we were saved, we it's called it was born again, we were regenerated. That's where the work of God took place, was in our dead spirit. It wasn't that we didn't have a spirit, we did have a spirit. But it was dead to God in trespasses and sins. When Adam sinned, he died immediately. The day that thou eatest, thereof thou shalt surely die. Adam died. His spirit died to God. The proof of that is when God came down in the cool of the day to walk with Adam. Adam, wherefore art thou? God knew where he was. But he wanted Adam to know that he knew that Adam wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he knew that Adam had sinned against God, had transgressed his law, and therefore he now was wicked, was evil. And God could no longer walk with him because he was wicked. So when God saved Adam... There was a difference. Because now Adam is hiding from God. Whereas he was walking with God. Now he's hiding from God. Something had to happen drastic. And it did. And that's when Adam sinned. So in his spirit, he was made complete. He is made without sin. He wasn't perfect. But he made a choice and he plunged himself and the whole human race into sin and depravity. And he died to God. Now, and you're trying to deal with lost people. You need to remember that. Well, why don't they believe what I'm saying? They're dead in trespasses and sins. They're spiritually dead to God. They can't believe well, why are we talking to them? Because God told you to. Amen. That's why we're witnessing. Because God told us to. Well, they don't believe. And, and now what? You didn't already know that they don't believe? We need to understand that before we go to them. And understand that you ain't going to convince them in your flesh, you don't have that capability. I don't, no other man does. No preacher has that, that capability. None. I don't care who they are. The only one that can do that is the one that works a work of grace in them. And when he enlightens them, he said, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts. Revealing unto us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There it is. They're seeing the light. Other than that, we're in total darkness, spiritual darkness. They don't understand what we're talking about. They really don't. They can't. They don't have a spiritual mind to. For the things of God are spiritually discerned. And their spirit is dead. It's not non-existent. Why do you think that that in this world you have a revival of Satanism? It's all over. People, many more people believe in Satan than they do believe in God. And why? How do they get into all this stuff? Because their spirit is dead to God, but it's very much alive in sin and in darkness and to Satan of this world. So my body is doomed. It's not going to, When God saved me, he didn't do a thing to my body. And he really didn't do anything to my soul, my mind. Because that's why he says that the these the flesh wars against the spirit. That's why there's that conflict in me. I want to do, and then I don't do. There's two people here. There's the old man, the old flesh, and then there's the new man. That's the new creature created in true holiness. And that's where that battle is. When I die, that's why nothing has to be done. For me or any other child of God. When I die. As Paul said. To be absent from the body. Is to be present. With the Lord. Mm-hmm. Nothing has to be done. To a, to a saved person's spirit. The moment they die. When they last expire that last breath. They're with God. Nothing has to be changed about my spirit. That's why 1 John he says that our spirit cannot sin. He didn't say our flesh can't, or our minds, our souls. He didn't say that. He said our in our spirit. We cannot sin against God because our spirit has been renewed. The Holy Spirit remains in us. And when we die. We let go of this old flesh and immediately we're with the Lord. Now, I don't know how long it'll be. When I die, I don't know how long it'll be before my salvation is made complete. Now, my salvation is complete, but until I'll be made complete. But someday, my body will be resurrected, renewed, my body, my soul, My spirit's all ready and be joined. And then will my salvation be complete, both body, soul, and spirit. And so should we ever be with the Lord. There's his, there's, talk about the plan of salvation. There it is. We're talking about it all here. Now, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, Paul is not praising them for saving themselves. He's already revealed all that. But he's thankful he's heard about their faith and their love for the Lord, because that is proof to him that they are saints. And I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, here's one of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Arthur Pink put out a book on the prayers of Paul. Excellent book. And here, here's one of them right here. My prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, again, identifies him Clearly may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He didn't say anything about Aunt Joseph's hangnails. He's praying for something different than what we pray for. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's praying for all that the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know. What his hope. What the hope of his calling is. And what the riches of the glory Of his inheritance, and the saints. Now, there's what he's praying for. (laughs) We hardly ever hear a prayer like that, do we? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Now, there, there's no problem with knowing who usward is. You don't hear anybody. Questioning that, do you? But how come we get over there to uh, First Peter? He's not willing that any of the uswards should perish. We don't understand that one, but we understand this one all right. Anyway, the greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to His wor- the working of his mighty power, And this is what it's all about. Which he wrought, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now you know what? If every one of us, if the Lord would bless us and we'd get a true, a true understanding Of the greatness of his mighty power. His exceeding greatness. When he raised Christ from the dead. In Philippians didn't he say that you might know him. And the power. Of his resurrection. We need to know that. The power of his resurrection. There it is right there. And also when he set him at his own right hand. In the heavenlies, it says places, that's in italics. But in the heavenlies. Hmm. And that's why we sit in heavenly places right there. In Christ, that's how we sit in heavenly places. And he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. His name's above every name. And Acts said, there's not another name given among heaven, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head, over all things to the church. Huh. The assembly, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now here's what I say about the book of Ephesians. You've got six chapters here. It's a church book. It's written to the church at Ephesus, to the faithful saints of God there at the church at Ephesus, at the assembly of Ephesus. Now the reformers, and I appreciate the truth they believe in on the sovereignty of God and election, doctrines of grace, I appreciate that. But that's what they get out of all this, they never get church through there. But how did this chapter end up? He's the head of his assembly. His body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now Jesus does not have a universal invisible body. Nor is he the head of an invisible assembly. An assembly has to be a people. And he's already identified the people, the saints of God, the faithful brethren in Christ in Ephesus. That's the assembly of people. And Christ is head over them. He's head of his kind of church, every church. His kind of church. So, if the church... Died out as the reformers say it did. The Protestants say it did. And the reformers say the church that Jesus built died out. They say that the persecutions and all that finally wiped out the Lord's churches. And there wasn't any church until Martin Luther came along in the 16th century and started the Reformation. Then you had Calvin and Henry VIII and Zwingli and all of them, Reformers. None of them can deny that. Because if that wasn't true, they wouldn't exist. (laughs) The Protestants have no reason to exist. Jesus said, I upon this rock, I will build my kind of church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what they say is, They don't even tell you when, but somewhere in the early ages, 4th, 5th, 6th century, that the Lord's churches died out. And they waited, the Lord waited, until somebody was capable of doing it. And along comes Martin Luther, and he did it. Praise Martin Luther. Now, we don't praise Martin Luther. They do. That's the Protestants. And the Reformers also praise the Reformers. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, and so on. The Lord wasn't able to perpetuate his kind of church. That's what they say. Protestants and the Reformers. That is exactly what they say. That the Lord was not capable of delivering on his promise of perpetuity to his kind of church. Now, I stand on that. That's what they say. By their very existence, that's what they say. You you read about Campbell, not Wayne Campbell, Alexander. And you read his writings. That's what he claims and has claimed for him. That they restarted the Lord's church. Joel Smith. Of the Mormons claims that. That there wasn't any of the Lord's churches around. He had to start it. Read the writings of Mormon. I don't want you to. But if you ever see it. That's what you'll find out. He claimed that. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy claimed the same thing. And that's what is claimed for all the reformers and all of the Protestants. If the Lord's churches died out, Jesus had nobody. He was head of nothing for hundreds of years. That's not a nice prospect, is it? And as we go back through church history, Baptist church history, that some idiots say that we ought not to, we find the Lord's churches prospering, going right along. They may be getting wiped out many times through persecutions, Catholic, Protestant persecutions. But that doesn't stop the Lord's churches. Who was it? I think it was John Fox. In Fox's book of Martyrs. I think he says that the. Blood of the martyrs. Are the seed of the church. The more they killed. The more they. The more they. Did mission work. (laughs) And spread the gospel. And churches were organized. Weren't fancy. They didn't have big buildings. But they were the Lord's churches by doctrine. And there they were. So. You'll see that each chapter is going to finish up in church. All right, let's stand.